question for you. If you had to rank different categories, jobs, types of people, and you, or maybe society, had to pick, who, would, who do you think people would rate as the worst type of person in society? Now, 2,000 years ago, in Jesus' time, in Israel, they would say that the worst type of person were the guys who worked for the IRS. Uh, or in, in those days, in Israel, they were called tax collectors, the Roman version of the IRS. And essentially, here's what went down. In Jesus' day, Israel was occupied by the Roman Empire. And the Romans wanted to collect taxes, and they charged just an incredible amount to the Jewish people. But they knew that if they had their own Roman tax collector, that person wouldn't know the people as well. They wouldn't know all the side businesses that people have going on. And so they enlisted local Jewish people to become tax collectors on their behalf because the local person would know all the people in the businesses. And then they told the Jewish tax collector, okay, here's the amount of taxes that we need. And if you want to collect anything above that, then you can take the difference for yourself. And what's even crazier is the local Jewish tax collector had the Roman army with them, or sort of on call, if you will. And so if someone wasn't paying the price that they asked, then they would hear from the Roman Empire's army. And so you can imagine that the Jewish tax collectors were considered just absolute traitors to their people. They were, in a sense, the scum of the earth to the Jewish people. It's like everybody was suffering under these oppressive taxes from their conquerors, and yet these Jewish tax collectors were getting rich off of their friends, former friends, right? And neighbors. And so if you went around in Jesus' day and you said, who's the worst type of person? People collectively would say, tax collectors. Okay, now it's to a tax collector that Jesus himself is going to talk to in our passage today. Now, I'd love for you to follow along. There's a Bible under the chair in front of you. Go ahead and grab it. Uh, We are going to be on page 717. Uh, If you don't want to grab the Bible, you can use your phone. There's a Renovation Church app to have Bible uh, weekly verses. However you do it, we just love when you have the Word of God in front of you. We're not just going to throw it up on the screen and then talk about our own ideas. We're going to just go through God's Word today. So we'd love if you can have it in front of you so you can study it. So page 717, we are continuing in our study of the book of Luke. We're just marching through. Uh, verse by verse. Luke is one of four books in the Bible about the life, teachings, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And so contextually here, we've been watching as Jesus is getting ever closer to Jerusalem and his death. In fact, where we are in Luke chapter 19, we're actually only a few days away from the final week of Jesus's life at this point. And Jesus is just going to enter the city of Jericho, which is really near the city of Jerusalem, where he eventually will be crucified. So let's take a look at our passage. So it's Luke chapter 19, verse 1. It says, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. You know, he was getting rich off of his friends. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and he climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. 
All the people saw this and began to mutter, He's going to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham, a true believer in God. Then it says, For the Son of Man, just a title for Jesus, came to seek and to save the lost. Okay, pretty amazing story. You have Jesus reaches out to this hated man, a tax collector. Did you notice in the text that it actually said he wasn't just a tax collector, he was a what? A chief tax collector. He's like leading the other bad guys. This is who Zacchaeus is. But amazingly, salvation comes to his house and God starts to just move mightily through him. And my aim this morning is to show you how God can move mightily through your life. Now, this, as usual, is not an exhaustive treatment on that subject, but I'm going to show you what we can learn from this particular passage in God's Word on that subject. And so, here's what we see. Here's the, the first way, if you're taking notes, that God can move mightily through your life. How to have Him move mightily through your life. And number one is this. Lower your pride and climb the humility tree. Now, I know some of you in this room, you're maybe hearing the story of Zacchaeus for the very first time, and that is awesome. But for many of you in this room, Zacchaeus is a fairly famous Bible study, especially if you grew up in the church. You probably know the story of Zacchaeus. How many of you as a kid learned the Zacchaeus song? Anybody? Half of you, right? Everybody. No, I'm kidding. Don't say it, right? (laughs) Some of you got really excited for a moment. You thought, this is what I've been waiting for. Uh, Here's a problem. And this is a challenge with any of the familiar Bible stories, is sometimes they become so normal to us that we miss the uniqueness of them. So I say Zacchaeus, and you're like, oh yeah, Zacchaeus, you know, he was a wee little man, right? He was short, so he climbed the tree to see. Yeah, what's the, what's, what's the story? And we're so familiar with it that we fail to think about how humiliating it would have been for Zacchaeus to climb a tree. So I want to point out two things to you in, in the passage about what would have been so humiliating for Jesus. So if you look back, I think it's verse, verse 4. So it says, so he ran ahead. Now here's the thing. In this culture, Jewish men never ran in public. Ever. You just didn't do it. In a dignified society, especially in the robes that they wore, it would have been completely humiliating for him to run. But he runs, because he's got to see Jesus. And secondly, what does it say? It says he climbs a tree. Which again, if you've read the story a whole bunch of times, you know the song, you're going, oh yeah, Zacchaeus, he climbed up in a sycamore. Right? We just think that's what he did. Listen, in those days, grown men, and in our day, right? (laughs) Grown men don't climb trees, especially rich, because it says he was wealthy, powerful, chief tax collector. Rich, powerful, grown men don't climb trees. And, and that's still true today, right? Okay, imagine this scenario with me. Let's say you're in New York City, and let's say there's a famous Christian speaker. Let's take uh, Timothy Keller, my friend. <clears throat> We're not really friends, but I would be his friend if he wanted to be my friend. Uh, and let's say, let's say he's speaking to... Uh, 
100,000 Christians are gathered in Central Park, and all sorts of people are coming to hear the gospel, right? To hear the good news of forgiveness. And it's so crowded that you can't easily see. And you're there, and you're so excited. And Tim begins to, I call him Tim, and Tim begins to explain the gospel. And you see out of the corner of your eye, Bill Gates climbing up a tree to get a better view of hearing the gospel. And you look over to the other side, and you know who it is? It's Elon Musk. He's climbing up a tree so he can better see. You just, it's, you can't imagine that, right? It just sounds, it sounds silly. Because rich, powerful, grown adults don't climb trees. And that's who, Jesus, that, that's who Zacchaeus was. He's rich. He's powerful. He's a grown man. Zacchaeus is, he's not a child. He, he, in fact, he's going to pay an enormous social price for doing this, for running and climbing up a tree. I mean, by the time he gets to the tree, he's probably already infamous on the social media of their day. He's up, by the time Jesus gets to him, people are making memes of Zacchaeus on the tree already. That's just how crazy this was. And here's the thing. Zacchaeus climbs a tree like a young boy, but in doing so, he will see God. And this is the teaching of Jesus. So look at Matthew chapter 18. Well, I'll just throw it on the screen for you because I'll read it quick. This is what Jesus says. And he, Jesus, said, Truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And who is it that climbs trees without ever thinking about what other people are thinking about them? Little children. But that's what the condition of your heart needs to be like if you really want to see God. And if you really want to see Jesus, maybe for the first time, or maybe you've been a Christian for quite some time and you really just want to see God start to flow mightily through your life again, you're going to need to lower your pride and climb the humility tree to see Jesus. I think a lot of us, we, we haven't seen God do amazing things through our life recently. And it's because of our pride. And one of the ways that you can identify pride in your life is to ask this question, where am I fearful? What am I afraid of? Because often if you look deep into your soul, what you find underneath a fear of failure or a fear of what other people will think, what you find is a fear of your pride getting wounded. Some of you are afraid to surrender your life to Jesus, to just turn your whole life over to him because you're afraid of what other people will think. Others of you that are Christians you're afraid to be bold in your faith. And when someone starts talking in public, maybe it's at work or in the neighborhood, and they're just you know, bashing God or his ways, you're afraid to speak up on behalf of your Savior. You feel a pull maybe to invite someone here to hear the gospel, but you're afraid. Your pride could be wounded if they reacted negatively. Or maybe you're afraid to pray in public. And all these fears of what people might think of you, they're impeding God's flow in your life. Because we don't want to climb up the tree to see Jesus because, well, then what would people say? And so thus you're not having these moments in your life where God is doing these incredible things because it's your fear that's 
keeping you back. In fact, you just feel safer in the crowd with everybody else. And so let me ask you, what are you afraid of? And where, where do you need to just climb the humility tree this week? Where do you need to lower your pride so you can better see Jesus move in your life? Okay, I want to show you a, a second way in this passage that you can have God just begin to really flow through your life in a more mighty way. And it's this. It's ignore the crowd. Now, this is a certain type of crowd, right? There's some people we don't want to ignore, but there is a type of person and a type of crowd that we need to ignore. Now, if you study this passage, you'll notice that the crowd is in opposition to Zacchaeus the whole way through this narrative. Now, if you think about it, say you're in a group of people. You ever like, try to take a group photo or whatever? Where do, you, where do you put the short people in the group photo? Short people, can you answer for me? In the front. Tall people? In the back, right? And so if you've got a huge group of people and everybody wants to watch, where do you put Zacchaeus? In the front, right? And normally nobody cares. Like, hey, short guy in the front. I'm, I'm sorry if I'm offending anyone who's short. Uh, and so normally it's fine, right? But they're not letting Zacchaeus into the crowd at all. I was just getting met by shoulder bumps because nobody thinks that Zacchaeus deserves to see Jesus. The crowd is in opposition to him. And then later when Jesus shockingly says, I'm going to Zacchaeus' house today, the crowd is just indignant, right? Look at verse 7. It says, all the people saw this and began to mutter, he's going to be the guest of a sinner. Because why are they muttering? Because Jesus was supposed to come to their house. They deserved it, not Zacchaeus. You know, I, I don't know if you've seen this pattern. For those of you, and maybe it's your first time here today, but for those of you who've kind of been following along with us the last three or four weeks, if we've been going through Luke 18 now into Luke 19, one of the patterns that you're probably seeing in almost every story is that the religious people continue to be obstacles to lost people finding Jesus. And I would say to those of you that have been kind of on the fence and you're thinking about just diving in and turning your life over to God, if that's you, don't let hypocritical, self-righteous admirers of Jesus turn you off from him and turn you away from him. Maybe you've been hurt by a family member who says they follow Jesus or a church that you were a part of. And honestly, it's a big part of why you're not surrendering all in to Jesus because of what those Christians did. And I would say to you, you know, there are some people who say they're Christians, but really they don't understand the gospel of grace, of who Jesus is. They're just trying to be good like everybody else in society. I'll also tell you this. Every single one of Jesus' followers, even the legitimate ones, are imperfect sinners. They're not like our perfect Savior, Jesus. And so the best thing that you can do is to get up a tree, stop staring at the crowd, who's going to say all sorts of things to you, and fix your eyes on Jesus. Some of you lately, your minds have just been locked on someone who hurt you. And you're spending all your time thinking about what someone did to you. The majority of your thoughts are just, who hurt you? Someone out in the crowd. Fix your mind on Jesus who loves you. Ignore the crowd. You look at him. 
And if the crowd, maybe even religious people, have been an obstacle to you, maybe a stumbling block, a hindrance to you just going all in with Jesus, I cannot urge you enough to just study who Jesus is. If you've never actually studied the Bible or dug into it, take one of these Bibles when you leave today. Restart reading through this book, the book of Luke, and learn for yourself. Look for yourself. Up over the crowd, look for yourself at the claims of Jesus and who he really is. Because Jesus is so different, so different than many of the self-righteous people that you've probably met. Okay, why are these self-righteous people really angry that Jesus called Zacchaeus down? It's because they don't think that Zacchaeus deserves to be with Jesus. His life's a mess. The guy's awful. Why would Jesus go with him? I mean, they literally cannot even wrap their mind around it. But the way of Jesus is not like the way of the world. I mean, think about this. Jesus looks up at Zacchaeus, and he calls him by name. Now, again, we're familiar with the passage. You're like, oh, Zacchaeus. How did he know his name? He's the son of God. Imagine you're up in the tree. Your life is a mess. Zacchaeus has not gotten his act together. He is a greedy, selfish, evil person at this point. The son of God looks up at him and says, Zacchaeus. Can you just imagine if that's you and it calls you by name? You're still in sin. You're still lost. Your life is a mess. He says, Zacchaeus, I'm coming into your life. Come down. Whew. And then look, verse 6 says, So he, Zacchaeus, came down at once and welcomed him gladly. He received Jesus into his life. Now, the order of this, of how things happen, is so, so, so important if you're going to understand what Christianity really is. And this is true for those of you that are thinking about following Jesus. And I say for about half of you in the room, even if you've been a Christian for a long time, I think it is so easy for Christians, at least practically, to not live this truth out. And they don't understand the actual order of forgiveness and the building essential core blocks of Christianity. So I want you to think about the order of events in this story, because it's really telling to us theologically. Here's what doesn't happen. It's not like Zacchaeus went up in the tree and then flagged Jesus down. Hey, 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 Jesus, it's me, it's your boy Zacchaeus. Uh, I just want to let you know, last month or so, maybe two months, I, I've, I've started to be like a really good guy. I'm paying people back. I'm, I've been donating to charities all around town, and I'm getting my act together, and I just wanted to let you know because I feel like I had a whole bunch of bad deeds, but my good deeds are kind of coming back, and I thought you'd be impressed because your boy Zacchaeus is coming along. And it's not like then Jesus looked up at him and said, you know what? I feel like your good deeds really are coming along, and you're a good person, so I feel like if I was going to spend time with someone in Jericho, you Zacchaeus, because of all the good deeds you've done lately, are the one who has earned it. That's not how it happened, but it is how a lot of people treat Jesus in Christianity. But that's not what happened. No, Zacchaeus is lost. He is in sin. He is a wicked man who is sinfully stealing money from his friends and family. But he lowers his pride and he runs. You know what that would have felt like for him? He knows everyone's talking behind his back, literally. And he climbs up a tree, a grown, rich, powerful man. He is lost and he is in sin, but his heart wants Jesus. And Jesus looks up and he says, Zacchaeus, you come down. I'm going to stay with you today. 
And it is in that moment that Zacchaeus receives, not just Jesus, he receives grace, forgiveness. You know, we use this word grace a lot in Scripture and in Christianity. Grace just means undeserved favor. So you got this favor of God. Jesus has come into his life. Did he deserve it? No way. Is undeserved favor. That's what our God gives to us. Zacchaeus didn't change himself first and then get Jesus. That's not the order. Now, we got to think through this in our own lives because trying to be a better person on your own doesn't really change anyone. But it is grace. It is undeserved favor that truly changes someone. It's not our own effort to be good. Zacchaeus is so in awe that Jesus would look at his evil, sinful, messed up life and yet would come into his life that that grace begins to just radically change him from the inside out. And that is the third thing I really want you to see from this passage. If you want God to start changing you like we see in Zacchaeus, it is we need, as Christians, we need to walk in grace and the change will come. Because it's grace that brings change. It's not our own effort. A lot of us... We're kind of like, if you imagine yourself in a car, we try and bring change, trying to bring change on your own without God. Just, I'm going to work harder to be a better spouse. I'm going to work harder to stop yelling at my kids. I'm going to work hard. That's like being in a car, yanking the steering wheel around, and you're still in park. But grace is like turning the engine on and going into drive. That's what grace is in your life. It brings change. And Zacchaeus is so deeply affected by God's grace that what? It brings change. I mean, right in the middle, he says, all right, here's the deal. I'm, I'm just, I've given 50% of my money away to the poor. Not because he wanted to earn Jesus's love, but because he received Jesus's love. And he says, if I've stolen from anyone, if I've cheated anyone, I'm going to pay them back four times the amount. Now, in, in these days, they were under the Jewish law from the Old Testament. And the Old Testament actually says, if you stole someone, something, stole someone, if you kidnapped, if you stole something from someone, you had to pay the same price back and an added 20%. And actually, there's only one time in the Bible that it says you have to pay someone back four times the amount. It's from Exodus 22. And that is if you steal their cow. Uh, because, of course, if you stole their cow, they would be in utter financial ruin. <coughs> you... Just think about that for a little bit. So Zacchaeus, that is what the Bible says, though, in Exodus 22. I, don't want to, I didn't make up the scripture. Uh, not the utter part. Uh, so Zacchaeus is going above and beyond in paying people back because grace has just changed him so deeply. And if you truly let God into your life, it will change you like that. And I think there's many of us that... We're sitting here, maybe you're sitting here, you're going, oh, I like Jesus, and, I'm, I'm, and, I, and I consider myself a Christian, but when you really analyze your life, you're not seeing the change that you want. Anybody feel that way? I think a lot of us can feel that way. And really, I think there are probably two, two likely scenarios of why that's happening in your life. And the first, for some of you, it's because you've misunderstood what Christianity is. You, you thought Christianity was, if I just kind of like say a prayer, I do the thing where I get forgiven, and then I just go on with my life, and now I'm forgiven— if, if that's how you're looking at Christianity, you're not going to see change. And I would say, you haven't understood yet the actual depth of God's grace and what Jesus did for you on the cross. Because if you do, it changes you. Now, others of you, you've been Christians for quite some time. Maybe five years, ten years, twenty years, something like that. And for you, what's happened 
is, while you may be begun on this road of grace, you believed, I'm not good enough, only Jesus can save me, I believe in him through faith, and then over time, your walk with Jesus just turned into moralism. A good chapter for you to read on this is Galatians 3. It teaches this exact thing. Paul says it to the Galatians. What happened to you? He says, you started walking in grace, and then you turned your faith into actually the antithesis of Christianity. That now you look at God and you say, oh, well, I got to get to church today. I got to read my Bible. And if I could just be nicer to my neighbors, and then I would be good enough, and God would be impressed. It's the exact opposite of Christianity. And the reason that you're not seeing change anymore in your life is because you're not walking in the way of Jesus. You're trying to earn your, hey, I'm up on the tree. Look, I'm doing good. It's the exact opposite of where God wants you to be. He wants you on the road of grace. And when you truly understand it, it will deeply change you. Because change is this fruit of the Spirit. It comes from abiding in the engine of grace. God invites you to come as you are, but if you truly understand grace, you will not stay as you are. And there are probably a few of you in a room like this, of this many people, you just need to come to Jesus in the first place and surrender your life to him. And maybe some of you have been thinking about it, just turning, turning your life over to him as, as king, as savior, but you haven't done it yet. How would I say to you, don't wait. Don't wait. A look at Zacchaeus. Because what I don't want you to do is say, yeah, but my life is just a mess. Like, I want to, you know, start doing this thing where I'm following God, but my life... Zacchaeus is in the Bible on purpose. Because God is showing you that this guy is the worst of the worst. And before he turns his life around, Jesus says, Zacchaeus, come down. So don't say, well, if I just... If I start coming to church a bit more and I kind of turn some things around, then you don't need to before you invite Jesus into your life. He will come. That's how much that he loves you. You just need to say that, I, Lord, I believe that I'm a sinner, that I'm not good enough, and I cannot make it on my own. Romans 5, 8 in the Bible tells us this, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The Bible doesn't say, and once you start being a good person again, then Jesus will die for you. No, while you were still sinners, Christ died for you. And that means that he died in your place. It means that he died for your sins. He took the punishment for your sins. And if you believe in that, you receive him in as Savior, what that means is then you don't have to suffer the consequences of your sin. So instead of you paying for your sins for all of eternity in hell, Jesus will have paid for your sins. And you can spend eternity in heaven with Jesus. And, and, and even more so, he'll come into your life right now. And you can have a relationship with him. And so will you come? Will you receive Jesus into your life to be forgiven? So here's what we're going to do. I want to give you an opportunity. Some of you maybe just need to make that decision today. It's time to just stop running and turn your life over to him. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to close out our service with just a final song of worship. What I want you to do is if you're here and you need to surrender your life to him, to be forgiven, to receive him, any time during this last song, and we'll all be standing, I I want you to actually literally walk down 
to the front here, to the stage. You don't have to come up, but just right here in front of it. It's a symbolic way to say, I'm seeking out Jesus to forgive me today. I'm coming. And you may feel, yeah, you're probably going to feel like Zacchaeus would have felt. Like, what are these, if I do that, then what are these people going to think of me? I'll tell you, the people in here will actually be ecstatic. But what about everyone else? And what about your sin? What will people... Jesus will think of you as his child. And so come and receive him and be forgiven. Let me pray. And then any time during this song, you come. Lord, thank you. Thank you for the story of Zacchaeus. That you show God that no matter where we are, that you can forgive us and that you love us and that you are so good. Lord, I pray for anyone in this room right now that's just wrestling in their mind back and forth and they can't decide if they should surrender their life over to you to give you the keys and accept your forgiveness, your kingship over their life. God, I pray for them, Lord, that you, like a magnet, would just draw them with your Holy Spirit right now. We just pray that in the name of Jesus. Amen.